The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the challenges that a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, a professional airline pilot currently flying for a U.S. legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. Welcome aboard Flight 93 of the Squawk Ident Podcast, recorded on Wednesday, October 27th, 2021, from the Mobile Aviator Sound Studios high atop the fourth floor of the Cambria Suites Hotel in Denver, Colorado. Yeah, it's kind of chilly out there. (sighs) On today's flight, we will explore fatigue, van driver tips, cockpit slobs, moderate or greater turbulence, max takeoff performances, and we also check in with John Gruber. You might remember John from Flight 52, Race, Fly, Build, and Flight 57, Fabrications and the Magenta Line. John will update us on the build progress of his Lancer legacy. We will also be joined by Colonel Terry Schooler. The last time we caught up with Terry was on Flight 27, Apaches, C-12s, UC-35s, and Battalion Commander. He is going to fill us in on the recent RTAG event that he had attended and what it had to offer. Man, I used to really come up with some long titles. Huh. All this and more aboard Flight 93 of the Squawk Ident Podcast. Let me just take this opportunity to again thank Christy Wong and Kevin Schaefer for joining us on Flight 92. Test comes first. Lessons follow. Rob, thank you for that title. That was fantastic. Rob and I enjoyed hearing all about Christy's experience with her long-term ground school and being out on the line over at Sandpiper Air. We also enjoyed hearing how Kevin has been a big supporter in her aviation journey and her life. Now that our pre-flight is complete, let's get ready to push off the gate and start those virtual podcast engines. Flight 93 of the Squawk Ident podcast is officially underway. Wind 320 at 24. Deep gust 33. Visibility 10. Sky condition clear. Assisting at the controls of today's flight is a superb aviator and Squawk Ident podcast co host. He is a former international and professional racquetball champion, a member of the 9G Club, an AMP and avionics tech, an RC aircraft commander, a boat skipper, a commercial drone operator, and currently an Airbus pilot for Legacy Airlines, the name we use here on the show as an alias to our employer, a U.S. mainline carrier. From his podcast studio, where he is enjoying a night off due to flight cancellations. From somewhere in Flower Mound, Texas, help us in welcoming our very own Mr. Rob D. Rob, how you doing? Hey, Tony. I'm doing really well. Good to be back. How are you doing? Ah, fantastic, man. You know, last show was was a hit. I really enjoyed it was. You know, getting reacquainted with Christy and her journey in aviation and her regional airline career. Um and just to see all the love that was coming from uh from her. Yeah, from- they have a really bright future ahead of them. They're going to do really well in the industry and I definitely wish them all the best. Yeah, 
Yeah, and Kevin, you know, maybe we should get Kevin on the show because I'd love to hear about his yeah. journey. I mean, he's yeah. It sounds like he'd he'd have some pretty uh, interesting stories himself. Yeah. Now, Rob, you're at home. I thought you were going to be in Omaha, like eating I'm supposed steaks. Supposed to be in Omaha. What what happened? <laughs> All right, I don't know, man. Uh, I don't know. Well, it's uh, seven thirty p.m. here Central Time. And uh, all day we've been experiencing, we meaning uh, Dallas, has been experiencing uh, over 30 knot, close to 45 knot winds out of the Northwest, uh, which basically almost cripples the airport because uh, we go from being able to use, what, five or six runways down to only two runways. So um, that just slows everything down. So we had. Um, extensive and multiple delays not only departing but also arriving which put me and my crew up against our uh, faa regulated maximum duty day uh. and therefore um and and, and in, a, in addition to that there was no reserves available to uh work you know the, the flight that was supposed to go to omaha tonight so uh, they canceled the flight sent me home and the, my crew home to get some rest and tomorrow we get to go back in and pick up where we left off and head up to Bangor, Maine. Oh, okay. Uh, and are you staying yeah. at the uh, same original hotel in Bangor? Or the uh, so, uh, that's Hampton? a good question. I have to look. Yeah. Uh, I had I a problem with Hampton. that one. Yeah, it, it, that hotel. Oh, was it? You know, it's oh, kind right. of in the middle of nowhere. You have to have <laughs> the uh, van driver from their sister hotel that's across the street oh. take you because they don't actually have a van they share it and, and we have transportation issues situation yeah. yeah but we're at the uh fairfield inn is that what you just said i, mm, I wasn't it, possibly if there's a denny's like close by maybe that's the one. but yeah <laughs> um yeah it, it wasn't my favorite and and i was really looking yeah. forward to bangor i think i talked about yeah. that on the show last time i was yeah. up there but i was in portland like three or four days ago and that was just Portland. rainy and cold and we didn't get to uh you know in- experience anything that you know that area has to offer yeah so uh, it was kind of a letdown but yeah i'm from kind of from that area uh it's a little further north than where i'm from um i was looking forward to uh, actually seeing like the fall colors because this time of year that's you know yeah. i think we're probably in the back side of that but all the leafas uh, come out yeah just, yeah but it was just they, they were on the front side of that nor'easter that they they just experienced so when I when we landed, it was already rainy, dreary, overcast, windy, cool. So <laughs> right to the hotel, <laughs> had some dinner, and went right to bed. Yeah, uh, nothing, nothing to see here. <laughs> and then woke up the next day and took off out of there and uh, headed down to Charlotte and didn't see much of that either because it was overcast and rainy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I can remember this time of year. I used to really enjoy when we did the Chicago to Traverse City and back. Because you really got to see yeah. the colors, um, which yeah. is fantastic. Get this down time low of year. early. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you're you're at home. I'm glad you're home and you're sharing this yeah. time with us. I know it's late for you, so you know you're gonna hang in there for a little while with us at least. And I'm glad you're yeah. here. Man. Yeah, yeah. I'm good to be back, man. Good to hear. Can't wait to uh, hear everybody else's story. Yeah. 
Well, also here to assist us at the controls is another exceptional co-host and aviator. He is an OSU Pistol Pete loving grad, an ASL linguist, the creator and director of the Aviation Business Information Board on Facebook, a philanthropist, a pilot cadet mentor, a new dad, and a DFW Airbus pilot at Legacy Airlines. From his mobile studio on the ninth floor of the Hyatt Regency in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Please help us in welcoming to the show, Mr. Kyle Jensen. Kyle, how you doing? I'm doing great, Tony. How about yourself? Uh, I'm doing very well. Now, I'm really happy that you are able to join us. You have had quite a schedule, man, between moving into a new home, you got the baby, and congratulations on your wedding anniversary. I saw the <laughs> photos from that. Thank you. Yeah. So how how is it? that you're able to juggle all this and still find time to be on a podcast <laughs> i don't it just comes it just happens <laughs> just go with the flow of what's uh in the moment so uh yeah between uh work and uh the honeydew list and the baby and family stuff just uh juggling all and trying to get all get it all finished well kyle we're glad you're here you're in the middle of a trip right now. You're in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Are you on yes. the first day of the trip? I am day two of four. Oh, um, the four-day trip. Uh, Captain called in sick about two hours prior to the trip, and yesterday, and uh, they pulled a, another captain from his trip. Gave him premium to do uh, the first Key West turn with me. And then uh, the Tulsa overnight, um, another captain. I'm going to be flying with about five different captains on this four-day trip. Um, got up to Tulsa last night, uh, got out you know, with the weather and, uh, and all that. And then today we kind of sat standby at the hotel room. I didn't leave the hotel because the uh, flight kept getting pushed back uh early this afternoon since all the weather delays and all the wind there in dfw like rob was saying went from five runways to two mm -hmm. and uh they eventually canceled uh, my trip or canceled the tulsa dfw leg and uh, now we have a uh, 5 a.m departure out of uh, tulsa back to dfw in the morning and uh they said i was finished i guess for tomorrow uh when we get back so um yeah, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, take advantage of the schedule changes while you can. Yes. Yeah. Now, so. the uh, the winds there in Dallas were quite strong. I actually left Ontario this morning at six a.m., which we ended up with a, a quite a bit of a delay. First, because they delayed us pushing off the gate almost uh, forty five minutes because of the. It wasn't a ground stop, but it was a company-induced reduction of of departures. Uh, that's a company-style edict. Uh, they call it metering, you know, flow control. Mm -hmm. And uh, so by the time we pushed off the gate, then we sat, you know, at the end of the ramp there for another 20 minutes. We were contemplating how much fuel do we have. Luckily, the captain had added a little bit, and plus we had a little bit of ferry fuel. So it was almost as if everybody knew what was coming uh we took off and it was my leg and yeah uh the atis was calling for gusts up to 46 knots uh and like you said a two uh runway operation landing 3-1 i think it was the first time in a long time that i've uh, landed on 3-1 right in, in dfw 
Um, interesting. Uh, it wasn't too crazy. It wasn't too bumpy, but just the winds were howling. And then, of course, uh, we had a little bit of an aircraft swap, a real quick jaunt over to another terminal, and we took off to come here to Denver. And we thought, man, we may have problems because the lines to get out of DFW were just amazing. We, were, I think, we're number eleven in line uh, to take off on on again a three one right. And uh, yeah, uh, just really windy and a lot of wind shear. We actually got to watch a lot of people land. Of course, you know as you do when you're waiting in line and and you kind of critique, you know, uh, the landings out there just playfully, not not overly. Uh, Ego, ego maniacal <laughs> to, to critique other people's landings but we saw a couple go-arounds uh wind shear, wind shear. induced go-around so if you're not familiar with wind your shear. escape procedures now's a good time to review them because the winds are starting to howl all over the place but kyle i'm glad you're here it's been a while since we've had you on the show i know you've been busy with the, the baby and with moving and and so great it's, it's so great that you could join us appreciate it uh, Roger's going to be trying to uh, log in here in a little while, uh, but today we actually have a fantastic guest that I mentioned in the intro. Our next guest joined us on flight 27, Apaches, C-12s, UC-35Ss, and Battalion Commander. Again, with these long titles that I used to use, man. Uh, don't let me do that again, guys. That is when we discovered that Colonel Terry Schooler's aviation journey started with a visit to his high school guidance counselor and later led him to a career in the service of the U.S. Army. Terry is here to tell us all about his recent experience at RTAG, or Rotary to Airline Group, a veteran aviation 501c3 nonprofit that helps all veterans, regardless of experience, jumpstart their post-military career in the world of aviation. Terry, it's fantastic to have you join us here today. And how are you doing? Hey, Tony. It's great to be back with you guys. It's uh, It's been a while. Uh, what, probably a couple of years now yeah. since uh, we last uh, talked on the podcast. But uh, great to be back. I appreciate you uh, inviting me on. Absolutely. So, Terry, how how's it going? It's been a while, like you mentioned. Yeah, it's uh, it's going well. Um, so, since last time we spoke, uh, moved to the DC area uh, where I get to work in the uh, the headquarters of the Department of Defense. I, I work for the uh, headquarters Department of the Army in the Pentagon, and uh, I'm also preparing for retirement from the army. So uh, about this time next year, I should be on my final transition leave out of the army. So looking forward to that, uh, you know, change of pace and uh, change of careers. Yeah. Congratulations. How many years in are you? 20, what? Uh, 23 at the moment. So it'll be just over 24 when I retire. Wow. Thanks for your service. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for yours as well. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it too. Yeah, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, you know, Terry, it's been fantastic to kind of track your journey in aviation. We had a wonderful time outlining all that you went through to get where you are today. Every time I think about doing it right, 
in this career, making choices that both serve your community, your country, and your career, I often think of you. Um, when we first met over at Tailwind Flight Center at Chandler, Arizona, uh, you, know, you came in as a flight instructor, and we really were impressed with all of your your helo or your rotor craft time in the army and how you transitioned to fixed wing and from there your career has really been exceptional that you've been a leader of a battalion and you've at such a young age you have held so many positions of leadership and just speaking with you and every time i've had the chance to meet up with you either on a layover or just have a conversation with you i'm always so impressed with just the level of maturity and calm that you possess. How do you do that? Um, lots of years of practice, I guess. I don't know. Um, it, it's it, it's a lifestyle, I guess. I, I don't know. It's uh, hard hard to say, but uh, you know, you just you put your head down, you do your job, um, you provide leadership and mentorship coaching teaching uh for your subordinates and you know you just uh try to you try to keep calm you know sometimes you might display calm and you're terrified on the inside i've been there um but uh you know it's just kind of how you grow up after 23 years of doing this now, it was a big move for your family to go to to D.C. What was the biggest challenge there? Uh, moving in the middle of COVID. Um, so we moved here in June of 2020, and there was a lot of challenges associated with COVID, you know, finding a place to live. Um, the COVID-induced housing shortage coupled with uh, Amazon opening up their HQ2 here in Northern Virginia um, made it, I'll just say our house was on the market for 24 hours and had 12 bids on it. And we were actually in a bidding war to try to get into our house. So um, yeah, just moving during COVID was was tough. But uh, we did it. We got here, and uh, you know things are settled down a little bit. Yeah, you're in good company because Kyle has a little bit of experience uh, moving during COVID, right, Kyle? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you had to do it over again, what would you do? Maybe a little different. Um, as far as moving here to DC, uh, yeah, the process of moving during COVID and having a bid on a house where the bidding market i know kyle wrote a letter uh to the to the seller and explaining you know about the family and everything and that really was a contributing factor to him winning the bid now did you win the bid for a for a similar reason or were you just fortunate or um we were fortunate in that we had a fantastic realtor who uh helped us strategize in uh delivering the bid so you know we went uh, i mean around here if you're not bidding over the asking price you're not even in the competition 
So um, we strategize about some uh, random odd number that's over the asking price. And that's actually, we had the highest bid and no contingencies. Um, and, and that's really, I think, I think we beat out the, uh, the next closest bid by, it, it wasn't even a thousand bucks, but. Mm, that was close. Yeah. Now yeah. in that process of moving during COVID, did everything go smoothly? Because I've never met anyone that has moved their family and everything went smoothly. And that's why I asked, you know, what would you do different? Um, well, it, it never goes smoothly. I mean, you can, you can do everything you can do to make it as smooth as possible, but, uh, it never, it never goes 100% to plan. Um, and, you know, having been an army brat and then in the army for myself now, 23 years, um, I, I counted recently, I think it's 28. This is move number 28 for me. Wow. I'm 44 years old. <laughs> wow. So, um, wow. you know, you just kind of get used to it. Yeah. You think you might grow roots there? That's the plan. Oh, we'll see. So, so staying in the, in the DC area would be the goal. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's a really great area. I mean, from the, the history, the, uh, the monuments are about 25 minutes away, you know, the, the great museums and, and all of that. There's never a shortage of things to do. You got mountains, you've got ocean, you, you've got it all. So yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. My family as well, uh, really does enjoy the DC area, the Metro area and, and every opportunity we can to get out there, we try to take it, but it's been, like you said, it's been difficult. Now, have you yeah. been flying at all or are you, just completely in a leadership position at a in an office yeah no flying at all um well i I can't say that so i went (laughs) uh back in july and i got my tailwheel endorsement Uh so uh did that you know four hours of training in a uh, cessna 140 which is pretty cool um but uh and then there was a little bit of 172 flying before that. I took my daughter, my seven-year-old, up for her first flight um, about a year ago. Um, and then just a little bit of putzing around the area in yeah. the 172. But that's that's really all the flying. I haven't done any flying for the Army in about two and a half years. I see. Now, you recently, like we mentioned, went to this RTAG event. Um, I was very impressed and just out of the blue, you sent me this fantastic uh, video feedback. Um, and since I have you in person, I just have you kind of give us a, a rundown of how you found out about our tag and what it provided for you. Sure. Uh, so a couple of years ago, back when I was in command, um, I heard through the grapevine uh, rumors of an organization that existed. And I've actually got to go back all the way towards the beginning of my army career. Um, So back in the early 2000s, I decided I wanted to get into flying fixed wing a little bit. This is, I was at my first duty station at Fort Campbell uh, flying Apaches. And, uh, I wanted to get into some civilian fixed wing flying, and I found this group online called Army Pilot to Airline Pilot, APTEP. And uh, it was a group of 
uh, army guys, former, current, who were all trying to uh, help each other with advice and stories and counseling, guidance, whatever, um, to help guys who wanted to start civilian careers uh, in fixed wing aviation. Um, so I, I kind of stayed in tune with that organization um, until it eventually fizzled out in the, around 2012 or so. Um, and kind of in its place arose this organization called RTAG, Rotary to Airline Group. So their initial premise was kind of the same as RTAG, to help uh, Army guys uh, figure out a pathway to the airlines. And as, uh, as the organization grew, um, you know, airlines started uh, instituting uh, rotor transition programs to help guys who were rotary wing only get all their fixed wing ratings and get to the airlines. And this is as a result of the uh, FAR changes after the Colgan crash, mm. um, where they... Uh, change the minimum requirements. You know, when you and I got hired at the airlines initially, um, you know, you could get, in theory, get hired with a wet commercial certificate. And uh, those rules changed that. But what they did, um, they allowed some exceptions in there. So if you went to a university program, uh, you were allowed a reduction in ATP minimums. Uh, but the most significant reduction was for military trained aviators. You can get your restricted ATP as a military trained aviator at 750 hours, vice 1500 hours for a straight civilian trained individual. Yeah. So uh, what that caused the regional airlines to do is to reevaluate their hiring practices and try to figure out a way to get these guys at 750 hours. Um, so they created these rotor transition programs. And uh, basically what they ended up doing was giving these guys a lot of money to go get their fixed wing ratings, uh, whether they paid them to the individual or the school just depended. But um, then these guys would uh, complete the program and uh, go on to work for the airline and fly for the airline. So RTAG was a big proponent of these uh, RTPs. Um, again, as I said, it started out as Rotary to Airline Group. Um, it has since evolved, and their, their mission now, first off, they, they don't call themselves Rotary to Airline Group anymore. They just call them RTAG um, because it's not just about helping Rotary guys get to the airlines. They are a veteran aviation charity, and their mission is to help any veteran find whatever kind of employment they're looking for in the aviation field. I see. Um, so with that, they, uh, they've hosted a few conventions in the past. I've not had the opportunity to go until this year as I near retirement and I'm trying to, to pursue uh, civilian flying once I retire. Um, so they had this convention out in San Diego this past weekend on Saturday and Sunday. And as the airlines um, and, and all of aviation, for that matter, rebound from COVID, um, the, uh, the interest in this convention was high. So uh, 
both Saturday and Sunday, each day there were over a thousand people that came through the doors. Um, the airlines are very interested in, in our tag. Um, you know, I, uh, I'll name specific names because it's, it's pertinent. Um, there were, uh, two of the legacies were there American and United. Um, you had, uh, some of the low cost carriers, JetBlue, spirit frontier, um, many of the regionals, uh, whether they were, um, American, uh, uh, regionals or United regionals or, or whoever, I mean, I I could start naming SkyWest, Mesa, GoJet, Endeavor, you name it. Most of them were there. Um, in addition to that, they had, uh, flight training organization. Oh, before I go to them, there were, uh, fractionals and part 135, uh, flex jet, nets, jets, um, wheels up. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and then there were also the flight training organizations, lots of different flight schools who, uh, are the beginning part of this process where they help individuals uh, get their ratings so they can go on to these aviation careers. There were helicopter operators, these uh, helicopter EMS operators, um, because a lot of these guys, you know, they, they, they love flying helicopters. They want to continue flying helicopters. So our tag isn't just about getting to the airlines. It's about continuing an aviation career. Um, And, it, it was just amazing the turnout. So, so the convention itself is not limited to uh, veterans. It was open to everybody. Now they did ask for a small donation at the door if you weren't a veteran, twenty five bucks. Um, you know, when you go to some of these other conventions, and not not trying to say anything bad about conventions like Women in Aviation or NGPA or OBOP or anything, any of those, but you're paying a lot more than 25 bucks to get yeah. in the door. So, um, it was, it was just amazing. The, uh, the different companies that were there, the different organizations, and, uh, it was a great convention. I, I, I can't, uh, thank the, uh, the founders of Artag enough for, for all the work and all the volunteers that worked on putting the convention together. It was fantastic. So, so, I mean, you, it looks like you had a fantastic time. You and I were uh, going back and forth a little bit while you were there. Anything promising happen? Um, I, I've got some leads for myself. Um, Perfect. You know, nothing firm as of yet. Um, I spoke with uh, the two majors there. And, uh, you know, having not flown in two and a half years, um, that's what I have to work on, but I have, uh, I was able to find some other organizations that might be able to assist me with that. So, um, you know, uh, more, new, more to follow. Yes. Fantastic. And we look forward to hearing about your success. I have a good feeling about it. I mean, between your resume, your background, your experience and your leadership, any carrier would just be lucky to have you very fortunate to have you so yeah, appreciate you know, that yeah you you're in a you're in a high demand field right now and as you're getting ready to retire from a, a long and very fruitful military career i wish you all the best 
to find a, a career in aviation. And I got to tell you, I really hope that uh, legacy is an option for you because we'd love to have you. It definitely is. We'll see how that turns out. Yes. And we need guys junior to us too. So hurry up. Yeah. 2200 next year. Just I'll I'll be the guy on the bottom of the list holding everybody else up. You'll be the guy at the door high-fiving everybody coming in. Come on, man. Come to work. (laughs) Yep. But, you know, it won't last very long because over 2,000, as Kyle mentioned, next year, a lot of us have been talking about that on the flight line saying, how the heck are they going to be able to train all of these people and keep up with all the recurrent training, all the pilots that – came off of some of the parked aircraft, the wide bodies, and now they're going to other aircraft. Yeah. The, uh, cadet Terry, I just want to tell you, we have, uh, I work a lot with our legacy cadet program and, uh, I have cadets, uh, right out of high school, all the way up through mid thirties, uh, getting their ratings and, uh, um, all different levels are moving up through the ranks at, uh, regional and the legacy carriers and, I have a lot of friends now uh, that are uh, civilian uh, corporate 135 pots that have been getting calls for interviews from all the different legacies here in the state. So just keep keep those apps updated, Terry. Keep flying, and uh, you'll be you'll be somewhere before you know it. Definitely, it's uh, I- I'm looking forward to it. Now, Terry, next year you're going to go through the transition of retirement. If you were offered a position here in the next, let's say, few months, would you be able to accept that position? Or does your uh, career in the military still have you full-time doing that? Yeah, so I'm full-time until um, late September of 2022. So even if I were offered a position, uh, but on all my applications, it states that my availability is the first week of October. So, okay. So, you know, about a year from now, and I I think that year is going to fly by. I really do. Absolutely. You know, now, now Terry, what else have you been working on? Any, any new hobbies or anything out there that you'd like to share with us? Um, other than getting, uh, wrecked by 14 year olds playing call of duty. No, not really <laughs> spending, uh, most of the time, uh, lately working on applications and the resume and all of that. But, uh, when I'm not doing that, just spending time with the family. Excellent. Oh yeah. I was just going to say, uh, I'm going to need to get off here. I got to early wake up. Okay. Uh, so just wanted to say i'm leaving okay kyle um you know kyle thank you so much for joining us i know you i know you do have that uh very early showtime unless tomorrow. i can get somebody up here to do it for me in the morning and that way i can sleep in but you know no man get your rest because <laughs> see what i mean terry we need help over here we need help yeah we're, over, mean... we're, we're getting overworked terry we need all the hands we can get yeah yeah that's so. for sure. Well, Kyle, thank All you right, so guys. much for joining us. Uh, appreciate you, you know, joining us on, on your layover. Please get your rest. Fly safe out there, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Uh, we'll see you guys. Well, now that Kyle has, uh, has left the building, 
Um, you know, we wish him well with his uh, required rest that he's supposed to be getting. So we do appreciate him joining us. Now, Terry, I, I have you here on the show. Can you stay with us a little bit longer? Yeah, definitely. Abs- excellent. Rob, you've been flying all day long. Are you good to keep going or what's going on? <laughs> I'm tired, man. I'm ready to call it a day myself. I'm starting to see a double vision over here. <laughs> okay. Well, in that case, you know, I want to say thank you to you for uh, spending your time with us uh, on the podcast. Always a pleasure to have you, my friend. All right. Thank you, Terry. Best of luck to you. Congrats on an awesome career in the Army. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll see you here at Legacy one day. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Roger. We'll see you, man. Hi and bye. <laughs> All right. Take it easy, Rob. Have a good All right. Take care. Well, as Rob is saying good night, as you heard, joining us is another exceptional aviator. He is a professional CFI, I, and MEI flight instructor, a former Embraer 145 airline pilot, a King Air instructor, a Falcon 2000 commander, a captain, and a corporate operator as well. He joins us fresh from the Formula One weekend in Austin, Texas, from his layover in Napa, California. Please help me in welcoming back to the show, Captain Roger. Captain, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Glad to be here. I hope you guys are as well. I I ran off the flight line and broke through some traffic, and here I am. I haven't eaten, but I'm here. I'm here for you guys. Oh, my God. Well, we'll uh, hopefully uh, make up for the fact that you haven't eaten by having some stimulating conversation on the podcast. You know, that's another thing you can tell is a little different between me and the airline pilots that are out there. You know, if I was an airline pilot... I'd be off eating and you guys would be waiting for me um, to make sure that I got back and I got my, my nutritional you my have, nutritional food so I could actually, oh. you know, everyone else on the airplane can wait because I got to get something. You have, uh, I think we talked about that last time. <laughs> but I digress. I yeah. digress. Well, you know, earlier, uh, and I'm so glad you're here, um, Roger. And, you know, we missed each other. I can't believe it. Um, I got a trip. I, I land in Austin, Texas last week, which we're going to talk about here in a few moments. And I'm there and we're, we're texting back and forth about, you know, the podcast, trying to coordinate schedules with John and with Terry and, and with all of you guys. And I'm like, hey, uh, what are you doing? right now? And like, oh, I'm, I'm leaving the hotel. And I figured, oh, okay, you're on a layover somewhere. I, I didn't keep up and I'm like well terry just text me he's in san diego i was wondering if you're you know and you're like oh and terry just told us all about our tag and and his experience there and a fantastic organization and unfortunately you guys weren't there and then after texting a couple more times i realized oh wait a minute i'm in austin you were in austin how did we miss this? We should have had a beer or something together. <laughs> and uh, Formula One weekend in Austin was crazy. I mean, we got to the hotel and there's cars and women in tight sequence dresses walking around in heels and parties and music. And I was like, I, I got to break down some notes for my next podcast. So. You know, this is one of the positive times that, uh, that you actually had from being at an airline where you guys have your preset hotels. I, cause I had no idea. Like I, this trip that I did, we had been on the schedule for a long time. 
I didn't really think much of it. I've been extremely busy lately, just back to back to back. Like, I don't, I, mean, I was in Austin. I totally forgot I was in Austin. That was not that long ago. Um, and I got on the computer to make my reservations like a couple days before, and there's no hotels. There are no cars. We were up in the boondocks, man. We were way up north without a car because there was no rental cars. The closest rental car I could find was like for $120 a day for like this little, you know, Ford Fiesta down in San Antonio. That was the, the, the closest rental car I could find. So we're like Ubering everywhere and we're staying up, you know, not horrible, but up in Round Rock, Texas, um, apparently away from from the more exciting aspects of the F1 race, I guess, if you will. Downtown. But, oh, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure downtown was hopping in uh, in Austin. Oh I, I missed that part because the, the hotel was ridiculously expensive too, just to find the room. I know, the bet. rooms. Yeah. Yeah, our so. hotel had a Formula One uh, merchandise right there in the lobby, and I mean, we heard—I didn't see any of them—but we heard about the the really big name celebrities, Shaquille O'Neal, the Serena sisters. I mean, pretty crazy stuff. A lot of people were there. I'm guessing that's the Williams sisters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're the tennis guy, man. I don't know. <laughs> Serena being one of them. One of them. Yeah. She's the one that's on TV all the time, right? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that know. was another really busy weekend with, um, with, with the plane flying into there. And then I just backed it up, you know, with this one. And because it's even busier out here than it was last, last weekend in Austin. Yeah. Yeah, it's been crazy, and and it's a good thing, especially for us aviators, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So as we mentioned in the in the opener of the show, uh, all the topics that I came up with, I wrote down in my notebook on that trip that I had, uh, where I was in Austin for the layover. We, I mean, fatigue, uh, van driver tips, cockpit slops, monitor greater turbulence, max takeoff performance, uh, you know, uh, landing at max landing weight, all this stuff. So. Let's kind of scratch the surface and walk everyone through it. That week, earlier this week, I should say, I flew this four-day trip. I, I bid it. This is what I wanted. It was a four-day trip that had a Hawaii layover in it, which I normally don't do that kind of thing. Uh, it's not three days on the beach. It's four-day trips with one layover being in Hawaii and Honolulu. Uh, as a matter of fact, and it was a short layover, 12 hours, and then right back at it and then keep going. And I don't, I don't think I've ever done this before. It's always like out to Hawaii, one leg and one leg back and you're done. I mean, it's, it's a lot of flying. So I, I wanted to try it out. I wanted to see if it's worth the high time sequence. So I flew four days, a total of 9,463 nautical miles, 26 hours of flight time under 79 hours of time away from base. Now that's the time that from when I clocked in at the beginning of my first day to the last day of the trip to when I was ready to you know, go to the employee bus and get out of there. So 79 hours in a row, I was working. On the 22nd of October, the day started early in the morning. The nice marine layer was coming in from the Pacific, covering the first half or the western half of LAX. And I sat in the employee parking lot that morning and actually watched a couple heavies take off disappearing into the mist it was fantastic i actually have some recordings of that and we'll feature them throughout these podcasts in the future now 
Flying to Honolulu out of LAX is fantastic on the Airbus for Legacy Airlines. It's a NEO or new engine design, the NX, some people call them. The airplanes have CPDLC. They have all modern uh, cabin with LED lighting and they have the, the Wi-Fi. Although Legacy Airlines Wi-Fi doesn't work over water. Now, some airlines out there, Legacy Airlines, have SATCOM Wi-Fi, so they get Wi-Fi even under international terms or over open water. Unfortunately, we don't. But we do have the online movies selection. There's hundreds of movies out there. All you need is your tablet or your, your phone or your laptop, and you can watch all the movies you want, as long as you bring your headphones. Don't play the movies out loud, ladies and gentlemen, especially in the back of the airplane. People are trying to sleep or watch their movies. Who knows? So we get into Honolulu just as the sun set. It was a nighttime approach, and we actually saw the TFR on the charts from the downed cargo airliner that went down. We talked about a few episodes back. It was interesting. Uh, the captain was telling me that a week earlier there was a big uh, vessel of some kind, a big boat that was trying to collect information or debris from that from the bottom of the ocean floor so it's a really big operation and there's a, a tfr or temporary flight restriction over that one nautical mile circle outside of honolulu just west of the airport and the naval air station and so we got to fly touched down it was a great landing we rolled out went to the hotel and it was a 12 or 13 hour layover well the next morning at oh dark 30 actually more like 5 a.m it was time to catch a van back to the airport and we watched the sun come up as we were taxiing out to come back to los angeles now five and a half hours later we touched down in los angeles and under normal conditions i'd be done for the day but no i decided that i was gonna tackle this high time trip instead we swapped aircraft changed crew and ended up flying Los Angeles to Austin, Texas. Now on the taxi out, I noticed that my captain was taxiing at an unusually slow speed. Now, depending on what manual you're looking at, most airlines say that a taxi speed should be an acceptable brisk walk, something like that. Um, there are speed limits that most airlines will put on their flight crews don't taxi past a certain speed anything more than that is considered excessive i believe ours is something like 35 knots or 34 knots something like that so you should never have an airspeed indication while you're taxiing well this captain took it to the extreme and i could have walked next to the aircraft now i figured out what was going on this was a premium trip for him now, what does that mean? Well, when they don't have enough pilots to fly a trip, instead of giving a trip to a reserve pilot, calling them from home and say, hey, come in, I got a trip for you tomorrow. Well, if they don't have any reserve pilots, they offer 150% pay. Now, we know some airlines offer more. There's 200% pay, and we heard about that super premium critical coverage that's going on over at Sandpiper. As what's it, 300% pay? I mean, come on, this is like an opportunity, right? Cha-ching, do you see the dollar signs in my eyeballs? No. <laughs> so this is what was happening. This I figured it out. Well, much to the dismay of the Airbus pilot that was taxiing behind us, he got on the ground frequency and said, uh, 
Is there a reason that that legacy pilot in front of us is taxing at six knots? Not to miss an opportunity, my captain decided to get on the radio and said, well, actually, it's eight knots. Oh, wait, seven. Oh, no, you were right, six. <laughs> As I looked over at him, I thought, this mother, he's going <laughs> to... He's going to start something, and I'm sitting in the cockpit. I don't know if I like this. Well, nothing happened. Nobody got punched in the nose, <laughs> fortunately. So we ended up taking off uh, only about 10, 15 minutes later, by the time we got to the end of the runway, and we headed on over to Austin, Texas, where we landed and we discovered what a Formula One race can bring. Cars women rock music did i mention cars lots of cars i mean the traffic was fantastic at least it was downtown i don't know roger what it was like in your neck of the woods but at least you got a car and so we had a good time in austin and i really wish that i knew that that you were there because that would have been fantastic so that was it now there were covid protocols that were set in place. You know, they recommended people wear a mask, but it's Texas after all. So you're in the hotel lobby and everyone's got a beer in their hand. So, hey, let's have a good time. Well, I was a good boy. I went to my hotel room and I took a bunch of notes down for this podcast, for you, the listeners out there. Now, the next day was interesting. We had to leave Austin, fly to Chicago, and then a quick hop over to DCA. Another two-leg day. But that is where the story gets interesting. Now, gentlemen, you've all had experience at airlines, weather, lightning strikes. Now, and Terry, I can only imagine the experience you've had over in theater in the Middle East. But I got to tell you, in 20 years of flying on the line, I was scared. This trip was particularly scary. Now, what happened was we left Austin after a significant delay. They had set up metering control for the ground frequencies. There were millions, if not billions of dollars sitting on the ramp. There were more corporate jets parked there than I had ever seen. And the nonstop helicopters that were coming from the racetrack and dropping off passengers in the executive terminal and the FBO was consistent. And then one by one, these corporate operators, private jets, were taking off. As a matter of fact, I think there were only two airlines in line of about 10 aircraft waiting to take off, and the rest were all corporate jets. And yes, there was a lone Cessna 172 that was standing by, and I just felt awful, because I can imagine myself being a student landing in Austin for some flight training and thinking, that Hobbs meter sure has been ticking along for the last 20 minutes. I hope, oh, I guess I'm going to have to pay for that. Yeah, I feel bad for you, bro. But hey, we took off out of Austin. It was a relatively uneventful flight, at least for the first hour. And then we started seeing that the weather that was progressing through Illinois was getting significantly worse. There were some tornado warnings south of O'Hare, and by the time we got there, we were really concerned that we had so much fuel and prepared for such rerouting that we might be too heavy to land. As a matter of fact, the aircraft was at its max landing weight. At least it was projected to be. 
and the controllers were trying to help us out. They kept giving us shortcuts, but those shortcuts quickly were then refuted. And we said, you know what? I appreciate it, but we need to stay on route. So instead of taking those 100 to 150 nautical mile shortcuts, we stayed on route. We flew at a much lower altitude than planned, all in an attempt to calculate and correctly assess what our landing weight was going to be. Because if our landing weight was even off by a pound, thanks, Foqua, the airplane would tell on you. So we were doing a lot to go basically around all the way just three, 230 miles west of O'Hare before we hung a right turn. 90 degrees and started to proceed. Well, the weather didn't cooperate. The, it wasn't really thunderstorms, although there was storms in the area, electrical storms. It was the turbulence that really made it bad. And listening to ATC, we heard a lot of moderate or greater turbulence reported. And of course, there's procedures that we go through. We, we made sure that the cabin was well-prepared. We made multiple announcements to the, to the passengers that we were expecting this, and that it was perfectly safe, and we were going to get them to O'Hare just as quickly as we could. Well, we ended up finally landing on 10 Center. We did a PRM. But in, on that approach, the horizontal wind shear was so significant that the autopilot had a really hard time keeping up. One second, the trend vector shot through the roof and threatened to overspeed the aircraft. And the next, we were pitching up at almost full power. So it was significant. Plus or minus 40 under short periods of time. As a matter of fact, once we were cleared the ILS PRM 10 center, we intercepted the localizer. Everything was looking good, but we had a really hard time managing the narrow band of speed that you are allowed to fly when you start to get configured for landing. As a matter of fact, the autopilot had a, such a hard time that I just turned it off. I figured, let me make my corrections with a little bit less extreme inputs. And it worked out. Now, the captain looked at me at one point and said, hey, two more seconds of this and we're out of here. Because it was, it was, in fact, a lot of wind shear. Well, we never had wind shear reported in the aircraft, which would have immediately constituted an escape procedure or a go-around. Instead, it was just moderate or greater turbulence. Matter of fact, in the process of this flight, we actually heard a CRJ report severe turbulence. And that's really the next thing I want to talk about. Now, severe turbulence is defined as a loss of control of an aircraft. Once that happens, a lot of things need to come into play. Mandatory reporting, airspace might have to be closed off to all aircraft for a period of time. Uh, it's a big deal. And a lot of times I've heard people report severe turbulence, and then the controller asks, well, what type of airplane are you? A Cessna 172? Well, okay. Understandable. But this was a CRJ, and they reported severe turbulence. And when pressed for further details, they said, well, it only lasted for like a second. They lost control of the aircraft for a second. Now, I wasn't in the airplane. I'm sure that it was bad. But was it severe? Do you know what constitutes severe turbulence? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. Now, Terry, have you ever encountered severe turbulence? 
No, not severe. I've had, uh, you know, moderate, but uh, on, on several occasions, but we've never gotten into the severe realm. And what was your reaction with the moderate? Um, I mean, try to change altitudes, try to, you know, get out of the area. It, it, you turn the seatbelt sign on, which in a little citation is, they're already sitting, they're not going anywhere, right? But um, yeah, I mean, you just, you, you do what you can to try to uh, change your flight path to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And Roger, have you encountered anything like that? Uh, I, I, yeah, one time. Um, that was in a Piper Chieftain. It was pretty ugly. I was scared. Um, and it was in the middle of a thunderstorm. That was, you know, I didn't have radar or anything in that. And it was scary. Yeah, I think I remember you talking about that in uh, the episode we did when we first interviewed you for your It's journey. very possible. It's one of those things yeah. that um, I will not forget. I'll just put it, I'll just put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely something that is eye-opening. And this is, as a pilot, can you imagine what the passengers are going on thinking in the back? Um, so, yeah, definitely was an experience for us. Uh, we ended up breaking out of the clouds. Uh, we had, of course, ignition set to on. Uh, we tried to maintain a, a, a positive uh, airspeed that would be well above the stall characteristic of the aircraft, but yet also below the red line so that we don't overspeed flaps and, and other gear and things like that. So it, it was definitely a challenge. I was really earning my keep there on that day. And yes, even though we don't have a yoke that's knocking knees and everything else, getting into people's guts, still that joystick uh, that is in the Airbus, it, it was bouncing around. I was moving that thing, trying to do my best to really minimize the effects of the air around us. Well, it was a good landing. And as we taxied back to the gate, the captain looked at me and we ran the, the checklist, the, the secure checklist. And he looked at me, or the after landing checklist, I should say. He looked at me and he goes, I'm done. I'm just done. That was, that was a lot of work. And that was strange coming from a captain who had been on the airplane for 20 years. Are you telling me that this was the worst you've ever felt? And I asked him that, and he said, you know, I got to think about that, but that was, yeah, that's up there. That's probably the top two of the worst turbulence that we've ever felt. And I said, do you think any of it was severe? And he said, no, you did an excellent job keeping the airplane under control. I think maybe if the autopilot was left to run its course, we probably would have exceeded some kind of limitation, and, and that might have created diff- other problems, but... You know, we always kept the airplane right side up and it did what you told it to do. So no, it's not severe. It's probably just moderate or greater. So, you know, we, of course, we reported what we were experiencing and as Ed did everyone else. Well, we landed and as we taxied to the gate, I said to my captain, hey, I'm pretty sure that we got struck by lightning back there when we got that big flash. And he goes, yeah, I was going to mention that. Um. I should probably have them do a suspected lightning inspection. And I'm like, well, that would be a good idea. I would, because, I mean, we were busy 
with the call outs and the approach. But yeah, we definitely, if it didn't hit us, it came real close. Uh, so that's what we did. We contacted MOC. We, we wrote up the airplane as a suspected lightning strike, as is the, the, the safer thing to do. And th we thought, well, you know, it's late. It's Chicago. It's going to take a long time for them to take this to the hangar, and maybe we'll be done. Well, no. They, they had 100-plus people that needed to get to DCA that night, and they found us another airplane. So we went from a 319 to a 321. And we left significantly late because that airplane had to be now catered, fueled, loaded. And we took off. Now we went into DCA with an anticipated landing time of 1.30 in the morning. And DCA has a curfew. Now the curfew doesn't mean you can't land there. It just means it has to be scheduled operator. And if it's after a certain time, you have max landing weights that you have to comply with. And I didn't know this. So for the first time, after years and years of flying into DCA, always during the day or in the evening, I discovered that they have a noise abatement procedure that can be found in a Jepson chart or your company operations manual. Now, what the, what the noise abatement procedure states is that for flights that are scheduled to land before the curfew at weights up to and including maximum landing weight, an extension is given to 22.30 local time or 10.30 at night, meaning you can land at your aircraft's operating max landing weight with prior coordination from dispatch. Now, we were significantly late. We were supposed to get there like at 11-something at night, and we ended up there at 1.30 in the morning. Now, what this curfew states is that during the hours of 2200 to 7 local, you have to comply with the following restrictions. And there's a list of all the aircraft that airlines fly in there for legacy airlines. And we had to look up the, prop, the appropriate aircraft. It was a Airbus A321 with IAE engines. And the max landing weight had to be at or below 166,400 pounds, which is significantly lower than the structural max landing weight that the aircraft has on it of 171,000 pounds and change. So we had to comply with that. Again, we were dictating our flight path and altitude dependent upon what we thought the landing weight would be upon arrival. Now, the weather in DCA was a little bit rainy. If you remember that, uh, was that Wednesday night, I think? Or when's the night? When was the night of the F1 race? Well, that was last weekend. That was Sunday was the race. Yeah, so Sunday, Sunday night. That's what it was. Thank you. Roger. So Sunday night, we landed in, in DCA, and <clears throat> unfortunately, after a certain time, they don't land on 1 and 1-9. One they shut down that operation. So at night, you are restricted to landing on runway 15 or 33. Now, for those that don't know, runway 15, which was our planned landing, is 5,204 feet long total. And we went from a 319 to a 321 at a max landing weight for the curfew of 166,000 pounds, which we complied with. And this was a maximum effort, full flaps, full braking landing. And the captain, it was the captain's leg, and he did a fantastic job. What impressed me was the fact that we were so low over the Pentagon on approach that I could look inside the windows. 
in the hallways of the Pentagon. And I had never been that low. Taking off, sometimes you turn and you, you know, you're over Crystal City, the Pentagon. Great. You're hundreds of feet up. I was worried that the gear or the tail <laughs> would touch the, an antenna or something coming off the roof. That's how low we were. And he landed perfectly right in the touchdown zone and max reverse, max braking. And the, my shoulder harnesses work, man. Let's just say that. As the Potomac got closer and closer, as we approached the end of the runway, I looked over and just glanced at him. And the man was standing on those brakes. The anti-skid, anti-lock systems work perfectly on that Airbus, let me tell you. We were able to turn off the runway at its intersection with 2-2, I believe it was. And we taxied back to the gate. Probably had about eight 900 feet of runway left. I've got balls of steel. Um, and I tell you, Sunday was exhausting. Have you ever had a day like that? Yeah, I I can't I can't think of any specific days, but yeah, I, I think we've all had those days where you know you just you're flying all day and you know through crappy weather and uh, passengers who are late, not sticking to the schedule, and you're bumping up on the edge of your duty day and flight time limits and whatnot. And uh, I think we've all had those and uh, they are exhausting. Yeah. I think what people don't realize, they think that we sit up there and, you know, drink coffee and read the paper and things during that long five hour, six hour flight or whatever it is, but they don't realize though there might be at times of lulls, especially under long periods of times of like flying for a week or two and just everything going to plan. And then all it takes is one or two legs into weather, into a short runway at night that are so mentally taxing on your body that when you get to the hotel, I mean, all you can do is drink some water and go to bed. I think that's one of the hard things about flying at the regional airlines. Because if like the days that I remember the kind of being the most like that is you get a day out of out of a hub. I remember Houston for me. You know, you were probably more O'Hare, but you maybe you get it's a hub and spoke system. So you got this weather system that's over your hub airport, a major class, huge class Bravo airport, and you're doing an out and back. It's the same system. You go to in my case Louisiana. You fly from your hub and it's crappy weather, and then you fly out and it's crappy weather, and you turn around and then you got an edict time, and you fly back into crappy weather again, and you turn back around and now you're late, and you fly out again to then fly back into your hub airport again, and then you maybe you're trying to commute home. I mean, you know, I guess at that point a hotel's great. You know, sometimes you're trying to get a commute home and you're just you're done, you're you're cooked. Yeah, and that's one of the things, the unfortunate things, like I say, about the regional airlines is you fly a little bit more because you do four, you can do four or five legs. They're short legs. That's where you're working the hardest. And if you happen to be flying within, you know, you, you flew into a weather system. Well, what happens if you're at, you know, um, some regional airline based in O'Hare and you're flying from O'Hare to South Bend, Indiana? I mean, can you imagine what that flight, that's, that's not just one flight, that's two flights because you're going out and then you're turning around and you're coming right back into it. And then you're yeah. going out again. Yeah, and that, that those are the days. I mean, you know, I, I did it. 
Captain Tony did it. Um, actually, uh, Terry did it yeah. for for a while also. Um, I'm glad I'm done with it, but my I, I tip my cap to all you regional guys. Hang in there. Because I think that that's kind of that's oftentimes the hardest kind of flying because of what you just talked about it. Except you're in and out of it multiple times. Yeah, and in different time zones. I mean, you're dealing with hey, I got up this morning at four a.m. Uh, body clock time. And potentially different time zones. That could have been one a.m. If I'm you know East Coast or West Coast or whatever. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's tough, and that's part of the flying career that most people don't discuss. Is yeah, the flying's great. You know, going out and just grabbing a tailwheel endorsement and going out and jumping in a cub, that's fantastic. That's, I mean, my, my heart braces just thinking about that. You know, uh, we just had Christy Wong on the show and she took me up in her warrior. And I mean, that brought back a flood of passion for aviation. And you sit there and you go, I want to be an airline pilot. And I want to do this. And yeah, you're a pilot. And your skills and your professionalism and your ability to recall procedures and policies are, are, are fantastic. And that's all great. But when you get to those days, like Roger mentioned, where you're in and out of that constant beating of weather and time zones and body clock times and your, your window of circadian low and the wackle flying that you're doing it, it's very difficult on the human body it's difficult all the stress and the really the main yeah. thing is that we we learn how to contend with that terry how do you contend with those kind of stresses out on the flight line well you know going back to what you were saying uh, at the end of the day it's a job like any other job it is still a job and you know, at times it, it, it's great. It's an awesome job and I want to be there, but at times, you know, it, it's a job and it's work. And, uh, like any other job, it tires you, it wears on you. There are good times and bad times. And, you know, it, it's just something to remember is that the grass is greener on that side, but sometimes you there are some brown patches. So, you know, how do you, how do you contend with it? Um, you know, fitness is one way that a lot of guys do, you know, they, they make sure that they take care of themselves. They eat healthy, they exercise, whether they're on, on the road or at home. Um, you know, you've got to find those ways to, to de-stress, um, whether it's, you know, shooting at 14 year olds on call of duty or, you know, going out for a five mile run. Um, you know, you, you've got to have those ways to unwind and de-stress. Um, other, otherwise, it's it's going to wear on you to the point where uh, it could break you. Yeah, yeah, it could it could create a situation where you start making piss poor judgment, and that is a career ender. It can be. Now, just to clarify, earlier I said maximum breaking landing. Um, and I just, I can kind of foresee this uh, being an issue. No, we did not land with braking to max on the pre-selected braking. Uh, no, we landed braking medium and then the captain kicked them off as soon as they start to grab and he did manual braking and the maximum effort braking, not landing with max, uh, brakes in the Airbus. Now, uh, that 
trip was exhausting. We got to DCA, man, I passed out. I was going to work on notes for the show here and it just didn't happen. And that's okay. It's fine. And like you said, Terry, fitness is, is the way I de-stress. And I went for my four mile run along the Potomac. I got to go uh, around the mall there, the National Mall. Um, I actually, instead of running the monuments, because they seem kind of busy and I don't like running around the monuments, you're, you're big faux pas to run on the monuments, don't ever do that. Um, but you can run around like the the reflecting pool and things like that. Uh, but I, I elected to run around the streets and there's a little bit of construction on the trail. So it was actually quite nice to kind of explore that area, Watergate and all that. Um, and that's how I kind of de-stressed. And once I got cleaned up, I pretty much spent the afternoon in DCA and then uh, off to LA, Transcon. DC to LAX. This is the day four of my trip. Now, the bad thing was that it was just starting to rain a little bit as we were taking off. And we thought, okay, this is going to be an interesting takeoff. Well, as soon as the runway gets wet at dca it's already a short runway um it really creates what we call a maximum performance takeoff situation now in the airbus that is uh takeoff flaps to three now you can land with three in full you can take off one two and three we had to take off at flaps three what that essentially does is it makes the wing surface area larger now you can lift off the ground at a much slower speed. And when you have a short runway, like you do for runway 19, which was our takeoff runway, of a distance of 7,169 feet, and you're flying an Airbus A321 fully loaded with enough fuel to go from DCA to Los Angeles, you definitely need to do a maximum performance takeoff. And that's what it called for. So our TPS, our, our takeoff performance uh, analyst or anal analysis paperwork said that we had to do a flaps three APU on why APU on auxiliary power unit. That's because normally the engine bleed is uh, bled off in sections in order to power the cabin pressurization system, the climate control and all that. Of course, you're bleeding power away from the engine, although it's not very significant amount, but it's enough. So maximum performance. So APU is on and the APU is now supplying the bleed air to the passengers and the climate control and the cabin pressurization so that the engine can perform at 100 or even in some cases more than 100% maximum thrust. And we also needed to do a static takeoff, which meant we got into position and hold using all available runway all the way to the end, set the power, to almost take off position. And then once we see that both engines are producing a significant amount of thrust, we set the thrust levers to TOGA, take off go around thrust, which is 100% all the way to the firewall. And we released the brakes and we took off. And the, the plenty of runway available, I was actually impressed how quickly that a fully loaded Airbus A321 took off out of DCA. Now, if anything were to have happened after V1, uh, we would not have returned to DCA. As a matter of fact, you're not allowed to return to DCA. No emergency uh, airline 
flights can go back in the DCA. If you take off, then you got Baltimore, you have uh, Dulles, you even have an Air Force base not very far away. So there you have options. And so, of course, we talked about all those options. That briefing took a while. We took off. Of course, you go from flaps three to flaps one. You know, you climb it out. It climbs out really well when you're at a max performance takeoff. But after we got into a clean configuration, we took off and it was a really smooth flight. We got above some of the rain showers and it was smooth sailing all the way to Los Angeles where we touched down just as the sun was setting. And it was another fantastic end of a trip. All this came from one trip. It was tiring. Ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned because right after the break, we're going to hear from John Gruber and we're going to catch up on his progress with his Lance Air Legacy build. We'll also hear more from Captain Roger and Colonel Terry Schooler. So stay tuned. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back, and thank you for staying with us. Well, as promised, here is an interview that I conducted with John Gruber earlier today. The first time we introduced our next guest was on Flight 52 Race Fly Build. That is where we had the privilege to hear about John Gruber's journey in aviation and how he began the adventure of building his very own custom Lancer Legacy kit number 120. We again spoke to John on Flight 57, Fabrications and the Magenta Line, where he updated us on his progress of the build. Today he's back to update us on the latest and explain how chronicling his work on his Instagram page at Lancer underscore Legacy has become a personal love letter to the aircraft. From his hangar at the Aurora Airport in Aurora, Illinois. Please help us in welcoming back to the show, Mr. John Gruber. John, how you doing? Doing good, man. Doing good. Glad to be back. Oh, glad to have you back and great to see you. Um, you know, it's been a while since we were able to uh, see each other here on via the Zoom. And uh, we've been tracking your progress with the airplane. I mean, some of the most meticulous and professional work I have ever seen. I could only imagine if I were in a position to build an airplane, I I could only hope that I would do such a finite, detailed job as as you've been doing. So, congratulations! Great work. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's the you know obviously learning as I go and taking that that skills and applying it to the next project and the next and it. It's keeping me on my toes, and obviously, perfection is what I'm trying to get or attain, but or getting as close as I can to it. So, it's uh, it's keeping me, you know, keeping me busy. Yeah, you know, I and maybe when it's all said and done, I think a documentary is in order because you have plenty yeah, right. of footage, <laughs> you know. 
Yeah, National Geographic and Discovery Channel have been talking to me, you know, so we're, we're working through it. Contracts, you know, it, it's a real pain. Yeah, you know, you have to get the agents on that, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so how have you been, you know, uh, scheduling? Uh, we've had pandemic issues. We Last time we were talking a little bit about that um, in the yeah, last show. The last time we discussed things that were starting to, you know, they were picking up and, you know, being on reserve at the time, just extremely busy and the operation just not running smoothly because, of course, the demand came up much faster than expected and therefore our operation wasn't able to handle it you know pilots included so it um a lot of pressure was put on us as the pilots to kind of pick up some slack here and there so i was working to my days off most of the months in the summer uh and it became frustrating but that's part of the job you know that's what we do for a living and but fortunately things the fall schedule's coming in now and it's starting to it seems like the airline is starting to get back into its groove and it's managing. I'll say that. Yeah. And I've noticed that too, you know, a lot of the flights, uh, they're, they seem to be a little bit smoother in the way things mm-hmm. are, are progressing, but yet we're still having issues. I mean, I just read yesterday that a 15 year old boy punched a flight attendant in the nose and broke their nose and they had to divert wow. on a flight from uh from jfk to santa Ana, orange county they diverted to denver uh you know and those articles that you read are kind of varied in the details but from from knowing people uh that that work for that company for american uh yeah it's just can you imagine a 15 year old and for at least that's the information i received uh to, to resort to such violence on an aircraft. I mean, tensions are high as schedules have been tough. I know there's been a lot of rebooking and there's been a lot of weather. And for us mm-hmm. aviators over at Legacy Airlines, um, it's been very much the same way. It's, it's been stressful. Yeah. But you, but yeah, to, to resort to violence, like you said, and, and what would bring somebody to physically punch a flight attendant or have any sort of physical altercation, you just, it's frustrating and you hate to see that happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's quite a shame, you know, but you've been, you've been out there flying. You were telling me that you got uh, quite a few days off. I could tell because whenever I see a post on, uh, yeah. on your progress, I know, Oh, he's not flying today. <laughs> um, yeah. If anybody wants to know what my airline schedule is, if I'm working, there isn't a video posted that day. If I'm not flying for legacy airlines, then I'm probably posting a video for that day. So you, you know, when I'm not working. Yeah. You know, and you, you've said the flying is kind of, you know, been a little bit stressful and it's changed and it's starting to get better. Um, how is the Chicago base handling the uptick in, in the flying? Well, you know, over the summer the operation was kind of a mess. Um, and yeah, or yeah, I won't call it a mess. It, w- it was always catch up. It was a game of catch up from, from a pilot standpoint, you know, the schedules and reroutes and things like that, uh, cancellations, diversions, always put a hiccup in anybody's operation and with my particular schedules i end up in central america or the caribbean islands or miami quite a bit so my trips typically start in chicago and then leave chicago for the two or three days so the chicago base or what happens in chicago while i'm gone i'm kind of blind to it i just leave on leg one and then you know leg six or seven at the end of the trip i come back and say hey you know the city's still standing so yeah uh, welcome back yeah that's good. I, I actually got through Chicago last week, and I got to tell you, there's some thunderstorms that were rolling in, and 
we we left Austin uh, to go up to Chicago, and man, that was some crazy weather. I mean, they had tornado watches south mm-hmm. of Chicago and near Peoria, and the approach in 20 years of, of flying the line, I tell you what, that approach was moderate or greater turbulence and the captain and i were going back and forth saying hey man if this lasts a couple more seconds we're gonna punch out of here this is just not worth it um luckily for us at least um it got uh significantly better and we were able to land safely and get everyone to the airport but man talk about earning your entire you know month's pay in one flight (laughs) that was it (laughs) You know, so I wanted to talk to you about the build. Um, you know, we've we've seen the progress. For any of those mm-hmm. listeners that you know follow John's uh, Instagram page, it's the best place, uh, really, to to see the videos and the uh, and the posts. Um, at Lancer underscore Legacy is where you'll find it. Um, and it, it, the build, some days seems a little bit more frustrating than others. Am I right? Oh yeah, there's there's always instances where um, you do something. I won't say wrong, but there's a you 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 do something, and actually having this account has helped me quite a bit, and it's it keeps me accountable. You know, every day I do the work, and then I post about it. I put a video, and there's a lot of people much more educated about this stuff than I am, and they'll they'll message me or call me or text me or DM me and just say, hey, hey, I would do it this way, or I really think you shouldn't do it the way you just did. You should probably redo that, um, or you know, and a lot of it. It's all helpful. It's all people. You know, some things are techniques and just say, oh, well, you know, this is how I would have done it. Um, you did it fine. Um, so, yeah, the frustrating part, you know, you do, you spend six hours on something and then you're like, nope, you're right. This other way is better. And I care about the project enough to take it all back apart and do it again the the better way. Yeah. Oh, so, Yeah, the frustration really only comes from the the time wasted. I hate going back and saying, oh, man, I just, oh, my time is only so much so i hate losing a half a day knowing that i screwed something up yeah yeah well it's your first build and and do these lancer legacy kits come with instructions like ikea or are they more uh you're just kind of you have the idea general idea of what you need to do and and you just kind of have at it i would call it um not comprehensive guide (laughs) Um, there's, there's certain techniques, there's, there's certain things that have to be done a certain way. Um, and those things are specific. Um, but there's a lot of like doing all the body work and the paint and, uh, that kind of stuff. You either learn it or you have somebody who knows how to do it, do it. Um, or, um, you learn how to do it and then you do it on your airplane. So, uh, but there's certain systems like how the ailerons are rigged or how the rudder um, you know, rudder cables are routed through the airplane. That's pretty set in stone set of instructions because those, you know, vital things were engineered, designed a certain way. Um, and, and you comply with those. Now it is an experimental kit, so you can do it any way you want, but you know, there's aeronautical engineers and human factor engineers that design this airplane. And therefore I'd like to design it and build it how it was meant to be. Okay. And what's been the most uh, challenging part of the build so far? Well, the challenging part was uh, definitely when I was out in Oregon with all the body work, the sanding, because that that's, that's an art, art form, really, because you're sitting there running your hand along a surface that's, you know, 
it's six feet long of the wing, for example, or the side of the fuselage, and you're running your hand along the side, trying to find if there's any waves in the in the bodywork or the paint to do more sanding. So that that was a skill I never had, and I'm I'm decent at it now. I, I can't consider myself a, a professional, uh, but um, I had a lot of guidance and help to get me through that portion of the build. Now it's um, the challenging part now is finishing off a system. You know, I, I can get a system perfectly to 95%, but that last 5%, um, not necessarily taking a leap of faith, but uh, getting that final bit of knowledge or that final completion. I mean, I've had my landing gear system ready to swing uh, and power on for probably a month now. I haven't done it because there's so many other things I need to do, but it's getting the, you know, that confidence to say, all right, I'm going to put hydraulic fluid in this whole system and power it up and see if it works, you know? Uh, um, so it's just kind of the, the confidence to get all that, those systems going. Okay. And you've been working on this now, is it almost a year now? I think I'm, uh, so I started the kit in March or April of last year and COVID has made such uh, so I bought it in cause 2020 was COVID. So yeah, I, I bought it. So it's been almost a year and a half. In in March, it'll be two years. Okay, and and your initial timeline. I remember you telling us that you wanted it to be ready for Eno, Reno Air Races twenty twenty two. Are you still mm-hmm. thinking that that's going to be a plausible time frame? Uh, it's probably not. the The goal now is to have the airplane in Reno for next year. I probably won't be racing it because there's a lot of other things I have to get through you know, training, formation, flying, sign-offs, and I have to be able to go to pylon racing school in June of next year with it. So I probably, I doubt I'll have the airplane ready, flyable, ready to go to pylon racing school in June of next year. So, mm. um, which is okay. The, you know, with all the changes from COVID and the schedules coming back and working a lot more for the legacy airline than I expected to be working. Obviously the, the amount of time I've been able to put in the legacy is less. I'm still, doing as you know adventurous of a timeline as i can then you know my body and timeline is willing to do but it's yeah i doubt i'll be racing it at reno yeah and i also see from your post that you're you're spending some time just in the ga community i see yesterday you were flying the tbm around i thought that was so cool and and you sent me photos oh yeah i just picked up a motorcycle a 900 rr a honda street bike oh my god (laughs) (laughs) so how did that process work did you just decide to do this or was it pre-planned uh, i was uh, a little bit of both uh, a, a very good friend of mine uh, has a tbm aircraft and uh, yeah it's actually kind of behind me here um i i purchased a motorcycle while i was an over on an overnight in new york um <laughs> it was in white, just north of white plains i was on party overnight i took a bus to a train and uh bought the motorcycle and uh, i had a friend help me take it from his garage to his garage so the bike was in new jersey and I could either have driven 16 hours out there to pick it up and driven 16 hours back or 13 hours, whatever it is. Um, but I, I offered to my buddy who owns the TVM and I said, Hey, I got a possible adventure for this airplane. What do you think? And so we did a bunch of measuring of the doors and measuring of the motorcycle. And we're like, Oh, I think it's going to work. <laughs> and so yesterday we flew it out to New Jersey and I had a friend uh, with a cargo van we had a ramp and put it in there and we had to let air out of the front tire to get the motorcycle profile low enough to fit through the door but it worked um you know we we strapped it down safely we drained all the gas out of the fuel tank all that kind of stuff so um but we had a nice smooth flight there and back the weather was perfect it was great nice 
Yeah, I thought that was just so, you know, uh, interesting to see the photos because I thought, man, that's a lot of work. You're gonna have to do all kinds of kind of calculations and weight and balance, and like you said, draining of the of the flammable fluids and all this thing to make sure it's mm-hmm. safe. And and wow, that's and, and it, the fact that it fit through the door, yeah. I, you know, and you had to let the air out. That's that's crazy, you know. Uh, good yeah, job. It, it was. It, on the ridiculous level of my life, that's pretty a pretty high one. <laughs> that's actually a pretty cool story. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, we, I, I mean, we had to pull all the chairs out, and we did the weight and balance. You know, it's four hundred pounds, and it's just like two adult passengers essentially. Yeah. Um. So in the in the grand scheme of things, as far as the airplane was completely capable, we weren't, you know, we weren't pushing the envelope of the airplane at all. Um. Cause that airplane will hold six passengers and it was just me, one other guy in the bike. So, right. um, it was, yeah, just the size of the door and a testament to Cicada, you know, you, you can, you can now load a motorcycle into your TBM. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe you need to have some motorcycle transport service companies going up. <laughs> <laughs> it would cost way more than people are willing to spend. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's very true. That's very true. It's nice to be connected. <laughs> oh yeah. It, it helps having yeah, friends that, that want to have some fun. Yeah. And now, can you show us a little bit about, uh, or show us a little bit of the aircraft behind you? Yeah, sure. So, walk you around. So, definitely, you guys didn't see last time that the wings are on now. Um, so, um, got the two spar bolts installed there and an alignment bolt there. And just kind of showing a couple of things. You've got um, speed brakes. I'm working on trimming the bodywork around the speed brakes so it'll sit nice and flush part of getting the wings on is getting the fuel tank all cleaned out because there could be years of dust or debris or, you know, like carbon fiber shavings. So what we actually had to do is I had to dump, you know, five, 10 gallons of gas in here and then flip the wing, shake it around and then dump the fuel back out. Mm. Uh, so that was part of the process of that. And then, uh, exhaust has come. It's nice and ceramic coated with a really nice finish. Uh, so that's looking really good. I've got all my you know, EGT gauges uh, for exhaust gas temperature, CHT for cylinder head temperature. And then I've got kind of working on my spark plug wire routing and things like that. Electrical components are starting to go on the firewall. Um, and then once again, the other wing is on and uh, something I'm kind of proud of that the flaps are back on. So I'm starting to get some flight controls uh, operating. Uh, so the flaps all work in unison both sides so that's kind of an exciting thing for me um and then i can go in the back here in the cargo area where um my flat motor is and that's that will be hooked up to the flap system soon and operating and then i don't think my hydraulic system you can see all the uh, aluminum pipe that i had to bend to get all that looking nice and lined up and so there's there's quite a bit that's been happening and you know with with the wings on it's it's nice that it it looks like an airplane now so i think it it, it conforms with the definition of an airplane it's got a motor and it's got two wings so that that's kind of nice to see yeah and i remember last time we spoke you were thinking about porsche green for a paint scheme are you still (laughs) considering yeah 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 i i think i'm gonna go go a little more um I hate to say mundane, but uh, simple. That 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 would be a, a little, um, yeah, brash. I would say. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's fantastic that you're able to do this. You have a very supporting spouse that is yeah. saying, "Let's do this now," because once the kids come later on, if you know, that's just going to be one more distraction, and it's just not going to happen. Yeah. This, so 
the, you know, for people that haven't built or want to build, uh, it, and I've had, you know, people call me and ask me questions. Oh, could I do it? And the, it's a full-time job. You know, I think I've said it before that, you know, nothing gets done if you're not here and there's nobody else to do it, but you, which is great. I enjoy that. Uh, but you know, if you, if you have a spouse, kids, a job, a side hustle, all these things, you know, that, that takes hours away from building an airplane. So if you want to build a kit, either have a very realistic goal and as, as in timeline, um, cause I'm even missing my timeline by a little bit, but that's because of work and which uh, that's okay. Um, but it's, uh, involved and you have to have a support system, you know, you, you know, you gotta have a, a, a partner or a spouse that's willing to just say bye for the day. I'm going to go work on the airplane. So that's, uh, that is helpful to have that. Yeah. Yeah, very much. Uh, and I think that those that, uh, they find out the hard way, well, I want to buy an airplane, but their spouse is, uh, they quickly realize that that's not what they <laughs> want to have. Yeah. You're never home. Even an airplane. Yeah. It's, it's not just owning it. You're, you're a part of the, you're a part of the process. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, I just want to say thank you for spending the time with us and showing us your progress on the aircraft. It, she's beautiful. Um, I really do enjoy the videos and I feel like, you know, I'm looking forward to the, each, each time you post a new video, it's kind of like when I was a kid and I'd go home and, and look forward to watching this old house or you know, or Bob Vila. And, and now I'm like watching uh, John builds airplanes. <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, the, the kind of the video tracking has been a lot of fun and, you know, I, I've even used it a couple times in referencing because obviously I, I'm taking pictures of a lot of things and trying, uh, the, I was balancing the rudder the other day and I was going back through, you know, last year's pictures, trying to verify an exact location of a, an orifice inside the rudder so I could do something. And, you know, I was going back, looking through a couple of videos, like, oh, man, that feels like a lifetime ago. Um, so it, it's nice that I've done this. And and I, I will you know, humbly say I did this for me. I, I'm glad, of you know, I did the video log for myself to make sure I, you know, kind of tracked and kept myself accountable. But it, it's definitely morphed into something that other people have been providing assistance. I've made new friends through this. Uh, and and I'm glad to share it now. You know, it's not just for me and I'm realizing that I'm, I'm glad other people are getting enjoyment and learning. And, you know, if, if it gets more people involved in aviation, you know, even one person, I'm happy to have you know contributed to that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, where can our listeners find you? So I'm on Instagram at Lance, at Lancer underscore legacy. Um, I also kind of co-post to Facebook, but Instagram's really the um, main platform. And, you know, here probably at some point when I, when I want to monetize this and become a millionaire, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go to YouTube and, you know, I'll, I'll get, you know, a million subscribers in a week. So I'm there working towards that. <laughs> well, when you find out that secret, please share it with me. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, John, thanks again for taking time uh, away from the build uh, and your yeah. schedule. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, glad to be here. Thanks. And I'm sure we'll, we'll talk again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I didn't mention one of the topics that I said I would, and that's cockpit slobs. Now, I was taught at a very young age that whenever you borrow someone's car, you return it full of fuel, washed and clean. Better than the way you found it. And I was also taught when you rent an airplane, 
You cross the seatbelts nicely. Don't let them drag on the floor of the aircraft. You make sure the airplane's parked, tied down, chalked. Wipe off any bugs that you may have acquired on the windscreen if you got some on flight. Leave the airplane at least as good condition that you found it or better. Now, how many times have you got into a cockpit and there's crumbs all over the instrumentation panel? The center pedestal is full of crumbs. Somebody's leftover bagel. You know, you open up the tray table in the uh, Airbus and it's sticky. There's spilled soda, uh, food particles, who knows, half chewed, who knows. And it's just disgusting. Now, in the time of COVID, we wipe everything down. But still, don't leave it for the next guy. And I just had to say something because I've been finding this to be too common. Now, gentlemen, I already know Roger is of like mind when it comes to crossing the seatbelts, putting it away, make sure the seat is in the position that makes it easiest to enter into the aircraft. Now, if somebody left a messy cockpit on your owner's private jet, what would happen? Generally, not much. I mean, really, we all know each other. Um, I have... uh, 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 Roger's contemplating what he can and can't say. <laughs> he doesn't want to call anyone out for fear of retribution. Exactly. exactly. I fight with the same people all the time. I mean, if somebody were to come across this... Well, let's just uh, say, hypothetically, when you were at the airlines or at the cargo outfit that you were flying and you, you found a cockpit that was messy, what would you... How do you react to that? It's annoying. Um, fortunately, I did not have that happen, and even right now, I don't have that happen very often. There have been a, a couple times in my in my current job where it's kind of like, really, guys. And it's easy for me to just pull up the schedule and go, okay, that's that's who it was. And I don't do anything. Um, I don't say anything because, like I say, fortunately, it does not happen very often. And we all, you know, make mistakes sometimes. Our operation, you know, depending on what we're doing, we're trying to usually get out of there and get home probably you know similar to like you guys but some you know a lot of times you guys are just swapping an airplane it's like well i got a three hour sit in dfw cross the seatbelts wipe everything down because you're in no hurry you know when we get back from our trip we're on our way out um you know i don't know of any time where i've left a mess but i would also be i'd also be lying to say that it it, it is oh i I would never do that because i probably have um but it definitely is annoying, and I have found it. At the airlines, I didn't really think about it that much. You know, unfortunately, it happened a lot more then. You've got so much turnover, and it was almost like this common practice. I, I don't know if you guys, I assume you guys probably the same thing. It was always nice to have an airplane that was full of the sandy comms, where you could wipe or break open a packet, and you wipe down the headset, and you break open another pa- packet, and you wipe down the yoke. And you're wiping down everything because it was just a common thing. It's like when you get in the airplane, you're going to have two or three Sanicoms to wipe everything down because that's it's what it was. Yeah. And it's still like, especially now in the age of COVID, that's that's very much a common practice. As a matter of fact, the the inventory of Sanicoms and hand sanitizer and stuff is plentiful. And there's never a shortage of that anymore uh, on the flight. I'm day. sure they've. Yeah, it was always a, the downer when you couldn't find them, and I'm sure now that that never happened because it's, it's yeah. 
I assume probably you probably mandated to wipe everything yes. down. Oh, we hand one to every single passenger that boards the aircraft. Right. Yeah. I've been that passenger a few times. Yeah. Yeah. And Terry, what have was you this past weekend? Oh, were you? I'm sorry. I'm flying out I to mean, San Diego. How was I didn't that? I, I didn't know uh what to expect getting on the airplane but as i walked on the airplane the flight attendant handed me a uh, a wipe in a little package and uh, i got to my seat and proceeded to wipe everything down and i looked around and noticed the other passengers wiping their hands and their face and all that i'm like okay whatever it's you do what you want with it and but... the seat belt i mean that's really yeah okay sure yeah um I, I remember flying an express jet and you knew you were getting into a, uh, a cockpit after somebody who uh, took pride in what they did when you would uh, get into the cockpit and you'd see clipped to the yoke, a Santacom. They, they'd have it in the little uh, paper clip there. You had probably uh, flown after I had flown it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but uh, you know, I also had those times where I got into the cockpit and, uh, there at express jet and you're looking around like who the hell flew this airplane and left it like this. I mean, this is disgusting. Um, and then you make extra sure to wipe everything down and, you know, brush all the crumbs off the seat and dig crumbs out of the cup holder. Um, in, uh, in my army flying, um, it, it wasn't, I, I never ran into anything that bad, you know, occasionally, and I'm guilty of it too. Someone might leave a Coke cannon, you know, in the cup holder. Um, but generally, uh, and usually because of the type of, uh, individuals that we flew, you know, our, our typical passenger was a two or three star general or uh, overseas even flying diplomats um you know we we did uh all the belt crossing and you know they the seats and the citation you can move them out in the way and most private jets are like that you can position them where you want the pastors leave them wherever so you'd go and you put all the seats back into their stowed position and cross all the belts and pick up the trash and you know, find cell phones and hats and things like that, chasing after the passenger with their cell phone saying, Hey, sir, here's your cell phone. Uh, but yeah, I mean, y- you run into, into those uh, occasionally uh, in the army, but uh, definitely at the airlines, you, you walk into that cockpit and you're like, Oh man. Yeah. Actually it's, happened it's to me on the way here. And- I went, I had my bag right next to me. I have quite the collection of, of, uh, wipes from different, uh, you know, I, all kinds of stuff. And it's not just an American thing. You go to, uh, oh. foreign countries, uh-huh. you go take a train ride in Italy. They'll give you a wipe there too. But yeah, I got quite the collection that I, uh, I keep with me. Yeah. Keep them in a Ziploc so they don't dry up. Hotel, whoever, whoever it might be, I have, I, I rather, I just found right now, I keep, I've been collecting them for, how long has COVID been going on now? Almost two. A year, a year, a year, a year and, and a half. half. Yeah. I have quite the, the collection built up and I just stash them away in my bag. Yeah, we all do. And I, I actually go through and, and I throw out the dry ones and 
I keep them in a Ziploc so it stays moist. And yeah, you got to have them. Got to have them. That and napkins. You always got to have a dry napkin sometime. But Well, gentlemen, you know, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Um, you know, I, I absolutely enjoyed having Terry on. Thank you so much, sir. Uh, you know, and now you're going to retire as a colonel. Is that right? Colonel. Yes. Yeah. Well, congratulations, man. That's quite an accomplishment. Um, we look forward to finding out more about your journey over the next year. Um, you know, and please love to have you back on the show. Had a, this fantastic conversation with you. Yeah, absolutely. I'll keep you posted on the uh, the journey to uh, as I leave the military and uh, try to pursue uh, the civilian airline career. Well, Terry, we mentioned RTAG. What a fantastic organization this is. Where can people find out more about it? So if you go to their website, www.rtag, that's R-T-A-G dot org, uh, you can learn all about uh, their mission, what they're about, see the different events. They have articles posted about uh, how to help um, fund flight training and, and things like that. Um, they're also out there on, on the socials, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera. So uh, I would definitely check them out, um, especially if you're a veteran. If you're not a veteran and you, you just are looking to support veterans, that's a great organization to, uh, to look into and, and invest your time and maybe even some money in. Yeah. And as we mentioned, it's a 501c3 tax deductible organization. So all your dono- donations that you give to help out this fantastic organization is tax deductible. Most of the money, in fact, every penny that they collected at the convention this year um, goes towards scholarships to veterans. So they they don't keep any of it. They, their operating spank expenses are absolutely minimal and they put every dollar that they get into scholarships. So it's a fantastic organization. Yes, and thank you. And as you mentioned, uh, rtag.org, we'll put a link in the show notes. And they do have uh, what they call a podcast, rtag podcast, right there on the on the homepage. There's a, there's a link to a YouTube channel, and they talk about their organization. And a great place to follow them is social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn even, uh, because the next event has not been posted yet. So if you follow... Uh, as soon as they post another event, it'd be a great opportunity to, to get that resume polished up and head on out and give a little bit at the door if you can. If you're a veteran, take advantage of this fantastic opportunity. Absolutely. Well, as our flight is drawing to an end, we would like to thank all of you for coming along on this journey with us. A very special thank you to John Gruber and to Colonel Terry Schooler for joining us today. Please help us by sharing this podcast online and with your friends. Be sure to subscribe and follow the Squawk Ident podcast on whatever platform you are listening on. We also love receiving listener feedback. You can send us an email or even audio feedback via our website at aviatortony.com. That's Alpha Victor, the number eight, Romeo Tango, Oscar November, Yankee.com. 
there you will find audio archives photos from the flight line the guest book photo tab our squawk ident pilot shop where you can find an assortment of t-shirts hats mugs and more and a small proceed from all the sales goes towards helping to finance this podcast you can also contribute to the squawk ident financially right from the homepage. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram users can also find us under Squawk Ident Podcast. Also, a big final thank you to Captain Roger, to Rob D, to Kyle, to John, and to Terry for joining me today. And thank you to you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there, be safe, and take care of each other. Bye, everyone. Bye.